Ryan Hickey in for ZG on this Monday. Welcome. A happy Monday to you. And thank you. A big thank you to you for joining us, for tuning in right here on CBS Sports Radio to spend what is a very, very busy, very, very chaotic Monday after a busy NFL Sunday and a college football Saturday. Two games set to go here in the NFL to wrap up week number three. You have Eagles Bucks kicking off in about 15 minutes or so from Tampa. I think the Eagles win that game close, though. I think the spread is five and a half. Last time I checked, Nick Casas will join us from BetQL in 15 or 20 minutes or so to kind of get some last-second bets on uh, on that game and also Rams Bengals as well. Speaking of that game, Joe Burrow will will start for the Bengals as he does get set to try to avoid an 0 3 hole for Cincinnati. And save the season for the Bengals. And we'll play through a calf injury. I will circle back and keep you updated on these games all show long. Talk still a lot of NFL as we go along here. But I do want to hit on college football after what was a massive weekend. Where you had six ranked unranked matchups. A lot of great teams. And a lot of great finishes. Throughout the weekend on Saturday. And I want to ask a very simple question and get this conversation going. Which team from a loaded Saturday was the most impressive? Which team were you most impressed by with their performance? For me, it was the Oregon Ducks. I thought Oregon had the most impressive performance on Saturday. And it's not surprising. It's not surprising they went into the game favored by 21 points. I thought Oregon would win and would cover the spread relatively easily. I mean, they covered the spread in the first half. They were more than cruising along in that game. So it wasn't a shock that they blew the doors off of Colorado. It was expected, frankly, they were that they did what uh, they did to Colorado. But here's why I'm still giving them, even though it was not a surprise or not unexpected, why I'm still giving them the award, if you will, of the most impressive performance from Saturday. It's because we have not seen a lot of dominant performances like that so far this season. This college football season early on has been, I think, one that has rang through the theme of parity. And I love it. But I can I think if we honestly sit here and look at the landscape of college football right now, and I asked you who is your pick to win the national title, who is your favorite right now? I think if I ask 10 people, they give nine or ten different answers. No one has separated themselves. No one is truly impressed to where it's them and everyone else, right? Most years. We have, oh, it's Georgia and the field. It's Alabama and the field. Maybe some years it's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and everybody else. We usually always have, even this early in the season, one, two, three teams that are cut above everyone else. This is the first year in a long time where there is no line, where there's no separation from the elite and, let's say, the really good, from the national title contenders and, like, college football playoff contenders. I think any team right now in the top 10 could truly win the national title this year. And so in a year that's been marked by close games and not a lot of dominant performances, that was quite the contrary what we saw in Eugene, Oregon on Saturday. Oregon took the field as the better team. They showed right away they were the better team and left no doubt. But you talk about leaving no doubt from the jump. Let me just quickly here, in case you you know you forget, it was a busy weekend, and this now happened two days ago. So just to jog your memory, 
This is how Oregon started the game Saturday at home against Colorado and what was right now the most watched game of a loaded weekend. They got the ball first. What does Oregon do? Go right down the field, touchdown. Oregon touchdown, Colorado punt three and out. Oregon touchdown, Colorado punt. Oregon touchdown, Colorado punt. First three possessions for the Ducks, touchdowns. First three possessions for the Buffs, punts. No sustained drives. Nothing going whatsoever. I mean, that game, if you had trouble getting to the stadium, or if you were watching maybe another game or you had something to do, you ran out of the house quick, let's say, between the end of Florida State overtime and before Colorado, Oregon kicked off, you went to the store to go get something to eat. You came back, you sat in your seat, you sat on your couch, the game's over. The game was already over by the time you sat down. That's how dominant that game was, and that's how much Oregon flexed their physicality, their depth, just to flat-out overwhelm Colorado. It's not a surprise, right? That is where we truly saw the vulnerabilities of Colorado. TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State. Not built, not talented enough to expose the major weaknesses that the Buffs have. Colorado has zero run game, can't stop the run, can't block on the offensive line. And you look at this game against a legitimate college football playoff contender, and I think right now a legitimate national title contender, you saw what a good team does to a bad team. Expose their flaws. We talked about the lack of a run game for Colorado on offense, how they're one-dimensional just passing the ball. 25 carries for Colorado in the game, 40 yards total. 1.6 yards per carry. Not going to get it done. Ducks on the flip side, we talked about Colorado not stopping the run. 240 yards on the ground. And we talked about the offensive line not being able to block. Shador Sanders sacked seven times. Most sacked quarterback in college football so far through the first three games. This is not a surprise. And this is a credit to Oregon to where there was glaring weaknesses and glaring holes on Colorado. And they did what good teams do. Blow them out of the water. Take advantage of your opponent's weaknesses and exploit them. Credit to Dan Lanning. He talked the talk, I guess technically right before the game, that pregame speech, he got pumped out everywhere. Which, by the way, really fast on a side note, I don't know why everyone is blowing that like pregame speech up. I bet you if you went into the locker room of TCU, of Nebraska, and Colorado State before they were set to take the field against Colorado, their coaches had similar things. I'm not taking away from Dan Lanning. I just don't know why a lot of people are like, wow, that was a, that was an ins- you know, they're there for clicks, we're here for wins. That's how every coach feels. There's a reason why Colorado has so much attention. There's a lot of people that support and root for Dion. There's a lot of people that root for his demise, that want to see him fail. And the ones that want to see him fail, the ones that are doubters, have been thinking that same message the entire time that Dan Lanning said to his team right before they took the field. They are, Colorado's there for clicks, YouTube views, publicity. We are here for wins. Did not think it was that earth-shattering or that, honestly, offensive towards Colorado or Deion Sanders. But his credit, to Dan Lanning's credit, his team went out there and backed up his words. Absolute dominant showing on Saturday in Eugene from the Ducks. On the flip side, the least impressive performance from the weekend, I thought, was from Florida State. This team, despite being 4-0 and getting past 
arguably maybe their two biggest tests. Still has a lot of flaws. And I would still be nervous if I was a Knowles fan about them making the college football playoff. If you look right now, if you're Florida State, I don't think they can afford a loss. I don't think Florida State at 12-1, and one, even if they're ACC champs, is a lock to make the college football playoff. They are going to need help. When you see the depth of the Pac-12, they are bare minimum getting one, maybe two teams in the college football playoff. When you look at the Big Ten, where you have Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, all within the top six of the rankings, they are getting bare minimum one team in, maybe two. Georgia, as long as they don't lose, they're guaranteed in. Texas right now ranked above Florida State. Like, you look around, there are not a lot of, or there's not, I should say, not a lot of room for error here for Florida State. There's a lot of teams right now that could really have a better and much improved resume versus what the Seminoles got. And that's why they desperately needed a win on Saturday. But even though they got the win in overtime, it's not one where you come out of that game feeling good about Florida State moving forward. Feeling like, oh yeah, they got the ACC on lockdown and they won't lose another game the rest of the season. They have legitimate flaws. One of them being they can't run the football. They are one-dimensional. Now, to their credit, they have a great quarterback in Jordan Travis, a tremendous receiver in Keon Coleman. Johnny Wilson is a massive body. Bell, the tight end. Like They have weapons to throw the ball to for Jordan Travis. So if they are pass-heavy, at least they have the horses to do so. But that's going to come back to Biden, where I do think you need to be able to win games in multiple ways in college football because you're not going to have your A game every single week when you're talking about 18- to 22-year-old kids. Anything is possible, and they are the most unpredictable group of people on this planet. So when you run the ball like Florida State did on Saturday, 20 times for 22 yards, and even whether it was against LSU or even last week against Boston College, be unable to establish any sort of run game, that's a concern. Because all it takes is one bad game from Jordan Travis. And again, when I'm talking about a 12-1 and needing help to get into the college football playoff, One loss, I think, is more damaging for Florida State than any other team in the top 10 right now because they don't have any other resume-boosting wins um, left on their schedule. You need to make sure you're at your peak performance every single game. You escaped Chestnut Hill last week against Boston College. You escaped Death Valley this uh, this past Saturday against Clemson. And a team, by the way, that's most vulnerable under, under Dabo Sweeney. And one that should not have been in the game... You can't run the ball. You can't run the ball, and you need a strip sack to be able to tie the game. And then a missed chip shot field goal from a guy who is about to be a, a New York City stockbroker, be about, basically about to be my neighbor. He calls up, gets a call from Dabo Sweeney. Hey, come kick for us. We need you. And miss a chippy that should have been the game winner just to get to overtime. You need all that to go your way. I feel like Florida State's going to get got sooner rather than later. That's why for me, it's I don't feel great about Florida State coming out of this game, even though they needed to win. And if you listen to my show on Saturday morning, if you can't, I get it. It's 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Eastern every single Saturday morning right here on CBS Sports Radio. Check out the podcast, though, Hick at Night, night spelled N-I-T-E. You get the entire show on podcast form so you can listen at your convenience. I talked about on Saturday morning of all the big games, right? The six ranked on ranked matchups, Ohio State taking on Notre Dame, 
Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin trying to get one over on his uh, his former mentor and Nick Saban. Dion going to Eugene to try to upset and continue the Cinderella ride against Oregon. No team I thought needed to win more than Florida State on Saturday. Now, they got the win. Doesn't mean, though, you have to feel good about them coming out of that game. And that's two games now in a row where Florida State left you thinking, hmm, and they're 4-0. They're high up there in the rankings. But are they really that good? They got a lot of question marks. A lot of question marks. That's why, for me, even though they got the win, least impressive performance, I thought, from Saturday goes to the Florida State Seminoles. Now, really fast, bouncing around the rest of what was a loaded college football slate before we do get to Nick Casos here of BetQL to get you set for both Monday Night Football games coming up here in a few minutes. Ohio State, nice win, right? Last second touchdown to beat Notre Dame, stun the Irish, and win a game they really had no business winning. Even though they won a road game in a top 10 environment, I am really not that impressed with Ohio State. For me, I look at this game, that was to me more about Notre Dame losing that game than it was Ohio State winning it. Kyle McCord still does not look comfortable, does not look like he's going to be the next Justin Fields or C.J. Stroud in that offense. That offensive line is not very good whatsoever, and you know how I know that? Because all you got to do is look at late-ish in the fourth quarter, the second-to-last drive for Ohio State. They're in Notre Dame territory, needing a touchdown and take the lead. On fourth down and one, Instead of going right up the middle, instead of telling your five offensive linemen, win the line of scrimmage, get a push, and let's get a first down, he tried a wide receiver sweep because Ryan Day knew we can't run the ball up the middle because we can't trust our offensive line is going to get a push up front. That offensive line is bad. The quarterback is not very good. Run game is hit or miss. It's kind of all or nothing with Trayvon Henderson, who's super talented. We saw in the 60-yard touchdown he had, If you let him loose, he'll take advantage. But otherwise, if you're able to corral him, they don't really do make a lot of explosive plays. That was one where if Notre Dame has 11 guys on the field that can count, if Notre Dame, instead of throwing the ball, letting the game, runs the ball and makes Ohio State drain their timeouts and drain the clock, we're talking about a Notre Dame win. But the Irish had plenty of miscues, gave the game away, and I did not come out, even though they won the game in thrilling fashion. Did not come out of that thinking that Ohio State is anywhere near as good as Michigan or Penn State. None whatsoever. And if you're Lane Kiffin, really fast here, I got three words. I guess four words. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Guy who made, you know, not afraid, not shy to tell you how much he wants to beat Nick Saban. This was the year. Your offense is humming. Alabama is the most vulnerable it's been since 2007. Drop 10 points. 10 points is what you can muster in a loss. I really thought Ole Miss was going in there and winning. That was a really futile and I thought pathetic performance from the Rebels here in Tuscaloosa against a very vulnerable Alabama team. All right, we'll continue to talk some college football here, but when we do return, we're about to get set. If you have any last-minute bets, any last-minute questions about Eagles, Bucks. Or even now in an hour or so from now, Rams, Bengals, we go to the best. Nick Costos, BetQL network host, tremendous host of You Better You Bet, will join us next to get us set for the finale, the two-game finale of week three. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio. It is the Zach Gelb Show, Ryan Hickey in for ZG on this Monday 
Another Monday night doubleheader as we just have kickoff between the Buccaneers and the Eagles in about an hour or so from now. Rams and Bengals will kick off here to conclude week number three in the NFL. But to get you that for both games here, also talk about some of the chaos from yesterday. We go to one of the best. Nick Costos, host of You Better You Bet on the BetQL Network, joins us right now. Nick, it was an upset-filled week number three, upset-filled Sunday, really. Colts, Texans, out with the Cardinals, the scrappy Cardinals coming on in. Upset-filled Sunday. How are we doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, it was it was a good Sunday yesterday. Felt like uh, it, it's really funny how this works, right, when you bet on games. I bet the Commanders and the and the Broncos yesterday combined final score against 107 to 23 oh, and like and like had a winning day otherwise those are the only two side bets I lost yesterday like won everything else and it's funny right when you go to bed at night and your head hits the pillow I'm like yeah like I won money also I made maybe the two worst bets I'll, I'll make all season the good news is you'd, I guess you'd rather lose like that on a bet than have it come down to the final second so doing well on this Monday yeah that's true at least the Broncos one you can rip that ticket up pretty early and not to sweat that one out. Holy cow. Um, as you look to tonight, we just have kickoff between the Buccaneers and the Eagles. This line closed, at least the last I saw, Eagles five and a half. They have been a slow starting. It's kind of been a, right, a, kind of a little bit of a wonky start here for Philly so far through the first two games. Now on the road against a 2-0 Tampa team. You like Philly minus five and a half, or is this more of a, a play for Tampa in your mind? Yeah, I, I I bet Tampa at open at plus six and a half. And I even think like we touched on this uh, last week when I was on with Zach, just like I, I felt like the number opened too big. Philadelphia hasn't shown yet, and it's only two games, and that could obviously change tonight. Like, can Philadelphia win by margin? Can they put teams away? And I know they covered in week one against the Patriots, but they really struggled to put New England away. Like, let Minnesota back in to push the game um, a couple Thursdays ago. Um, uh, 34-28, the final score. The Eagles closed to six-point favorites. So I have just like, can the Eagles win games by margin? We're going to find out. And I think something we've seen, Ryan, in the first three weeks of the season is that, you know, you can like or dislike these teams, but I think you have to admit the truth, which is... The Eagles' old offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen, and old defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, both kind of look like badass head coaches right yeah. now, very early on in their tenures, but both look really good. And what have we, we've seen a lot of Eagles fans complain about the play calling, right, with the new OC, Brian Johnson. And let's see how this defense looks against some of better offenses. Let up 28 points last week to Minnesota. Would have been more if not for Justin Jefferson's fumble, literally, out of the end zone towards the end of the first half in that game. So I'm fascinated to see what we get tonight out of the Eagles. Maybe they win by margin, and this is just what they're going to be, and they'll be back what they were last year. I'm skeptical of that, so I did bet Tampa Bay at a number over six. As a reminder, make sure you get the BetMGM app today. Now you're winning with the king of sportsbooks. As always, please gamble responsibly. An overall betting philosophy question here for you, Nick, and that's this. We're talking about the Eagles. They're right now playing. You said you're going to take the Bucks right now, plus a five and a half. Obviously, there's no debate about how good the Eagles are. A lot of people have the Eagles either as the best team in the NFC, maybe the best team in football, right? At what point do you start to separate our preseason predictions versus now reality where, like you said, the talent for the Eagles is there. There's no question about it. You brought the coordinator change as well. And now you're seeing so far that the first two games, Eagles have the talent, are winning, but not winning well. At what point do you start to say, you know what? Eagles have all the talent there. They're a good team, but until they turn around, I'm going to start either taking the team and the points or maybe starting to pick some upsets 
when they were playing the Eagles. Yeah, I, I think it really, like, in lieu of answering your question, is kind of like a catch-all. As Phil, as, that I, and like, a, I know AJ it's Brown, tough. A.J. Yeah. Brown's already got, like, 40 yards receiving here. Squeaky wheel game after what happened last Thursday. Um, in lieu of kind of giving, like, a catch-all answer, like, each game is, is kind of like its own individual puzzle piece that needs to be figured out. So as far as, like, game-by-game betting, I'll stay away from stuff like that because, like, it all depends on what the point spread of the game is. But as far as just, like, an overall philosophy, I think if the Eagles struggle to put Tampa away here, if they lose this game, I think it's fair like that that your NFC rankings would be like San Francisco draw a line, and then probably you put Dallas and Philly in the same tier. And maybe if the Eagles win impressively tonight, maybe that first tier is San Francisco and Philadelphia. Um, so I do think that we can learn a lot about teams through the first three weeks of the season. Um, and there are definitely some teams that we have learned a lot about, and I will take that into the betting market and make bets, Ryan, coming up in week four. You just mentioned before the A.J. Brown connection. Obviously, the last time we saw the Eagles was Thursday night, and we saw A.J. Brown in, at that point, was a blowout, you know, margins, complaining about the lack of targets he has and was getting so far. So far in the game, two catches, 44 yards. Right now, at least I'm seeing some live lines for A.J. Brown. About 103 yards is the live line over-under for him receiving yards tonight. Is that a number you touch right now because of kind of what we saw on Thursday? No, I think you could have bet, uh, like, over 70 and a half before the game started. Okay. So, like, yeah. The, for me, bet. no, but I mean, it could, the bet. For coming in, though. Yeah, it's like, just because like, like, I wouldn't bet it doesn't mean it can't win. Of course, like, it can win. Just that, like, I feel like the time to bet A.J. Brown was before kickoff. Like, not now. On the other game we have in about just under an hour or so from now, Bengals-Rams. Bengals did close the three-point favorite. Joe Burrow is going to play. Obviously, health is going to be crushed with his calf. It's a little tough because he hurt his calf right the second to last play of the game. Uh, last week against the Ravens, so it's not like we have a huge sample size of how he is able to play on what is a not 100% calf. How are you feeling in this one? Uh, well, I think um, it really comes down to uh, what you think Joe Burrow is going to be in this game because this is a crazy point spread um, if Joe Burrow is going to be going to be healthy and he looks pretty good in this game. Uh, if Burrow were fully healthy, the Bengals would be more than a touchdown favorite in this game. Keep in mind, the Rams last week hosted the San Francisco 49ers and the Niners closed more than a touchdown favorite in that game, which means that betters think that, look, the Rams can be a little impressive, but like the Rams are not a great team and betters don't think of the Rams as a great team. So if you're out there listening, and I don't have the answer to this question. I can tell you what I think, but I don't know. No one knows, right? We'll know when we watch the game tonight how 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 healthy Joe Burrow actually is. If you think that you're going to get a good performance from Joe Burrow tonight, who has said he's less than 100%, doesn't mean he can't still play well, but he's less than 100%. If you think he's going to play well, this is the discount of all discounts with which to bet on the Cincinnati Bengals. Only three at home against a team that was just seven seven point underdog at home last week against San Francisco. Now on the flip side, if you think this Burrow calf thing is a big deal, I, I'm more in the second camp that I don't think this is going to be a vintage Joe Burrow performance tonight because he's not healthy. If you think that this is going to be like maybe he doesn't finish the game, he doesn't look good, he doesn't have the power pushing off the calf to be able to drive the ball down the field, I think the Rams are probably just going to win the game. Um, I have bet the Rams at better numbers. I would still only bet the Rams here, but I have to acknowledge the uncertainty that exists. It really all depends on what we see from Burrow's health, and like none of us know what that's going to be until the game actually starts. No, you're right about that, and it's unfortunately, that's one of those toughies where it, it, it could look fine. It could play well if it on also, too, because it could be kind of a struggle. Look at the total right now, 45 and a half. Is that one where because there's questions, I mean, especially because you're leaning maybe towards Joe Burrow not having a vintage Joe Burrow game that under 45 and a half is very juicy for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's juicy. I think I'd probably rather bet the under. Look, I'm of the camp, and I could be wrong, right? Because, like, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I haven't diagnosed him, right? But 
he hasn't played well the first two weeks. He literally told the media after last Sunday's loss to Baltimore that he re-aggravated the injury. They took it right up until kickoff. And I think stuff like this goes noted. Like, like NFL media insider Ian Rappaport tweets out. And, like, I think the verbiage is important. Burrow's going to play tonight, but he's not 100% healthy. Like, I don't think that Rappaport or, like, Adam Schefter or these other insiders tweet things like that unless, unless like, someone really that in the know is telling them. So I think this is, I think this is Burrow not 100% healthy tonight. Now, maybe, maybe he does enough and the Rams are just bad and the Bengals win the game and cover the spread and they score a bunch of points. I think it's more likely he struggles and it's going to be a slog. So like, I don't, I don't want to call it juicy because I don't know. Like if, if this were like Eagles bucks is a game, like we can have a conversation about the point spread there because everything's static. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not a static situation. This is, like, flip a coin, roll the dice. So, yeah, like, there are betting opportunities probably here, but I don't think we're going to be able to know exactly what they are until the game starts, until it's too late. And I think that is just this particular game because of the injury situation with Burrow. We're talking to Nick Casos of the BetQL Network. Make sure you check Nick out on Twitter at the Casos. That's Casos with a K. Uh, yesterday, Nick, we saw, I mean, again, this Tua to Tungvaloa hype train continue 70 points between him and this and this Dolphins offense. They just lay the wood on the Broncos. Last I checked right now, Tua, leader, right? MVP, not a shock, plus 325. Is there any – right now, he, right, he is the guy through three weeks. He is the MVP of the league. Is there any value you're seeing in that MVP? Whereas early on, you think, hey, this guy, good second half here, really could come on and come up, and there's some good prices out there right now for someone not named Tua. Yeah, let me uh I just want to see what the market is. The market's down right now because uh cuz the game started tonight. Um I don't know what Josh Allen's price is off the top of my head. Allen would be the guy that I would that I that I would okay. go with. Um especially if you like the Bills on Sunday. Like you you could be right and like Tua can just like win. Also, they're going to be a 3-point uh road underdog this week at Buffalo. So like the betting market has Buffalo is more likely to win the game. If Buffalo wins, high point total sitting at about 53, 53 and a half. We'll see if Jalen Waddell plays. That would boost the total up a little bit as well. Um, it stands to reason that Allen would play well. Um, his price is longer than Tua's right now. So, like, Tua should be the favorite. This is not me saying, like, Allen should be favored. But like, I think, like, a lot of people like to use the word value. Right. Like, Tua can win MVP. But let's be clear. There's no value in this bet right now. Like, the value bet was to bet Tua before the season started. Or, like, or after week one, before the Patriots game on Sunday night in front of a national audience. So, it's not that Tua can't win, but your question was, like, what's up? Is there a more valuable bet? Right. I, th- I think, given what the numbers are right now, Josh Allen is a much more valuable bet than Tua Tungavailoa. And last one for you here, Nick Casas. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with this. I understand what I'm about to ask you is very stupid. And this is part of the reason why I'm not a good gambler whatsoever. But I'm going to ask it anyway because I got a professional here. And I want to see how stupid or, or crazy this thought is. Okay, so Bengals, Rams, sitting, getting sent here 45 minutes away from kickoff. Bengals are wearing their alternate white uniforms, white helmets. It looks very clean. You have Chad Ochocinco, um, and it looks like Terrell Owens in the building as well for, for Chad Ochocinco's um, Ring of Honor induction at halftime. So you got celebrities, right? big-time players in the uh, in the stadium, new uniforms, how much do you take that into account? How much do you take it into account? Uh, too much. And again, yeah. that's why I preface it why I'm a terrible gambler and this is stupid. Yeah, I would say um, if you took the amount of percentage that I took it into account <laughs> and multiplied it by a million, uh, the percentage would be zero. I don't think it, I think it has zero impact on, the, on, on how the game goes. But look, that I, I, I can, like Cincinnati can cover the game and 
they could look awesome in the white. The white uniforms are sick. Like, there's no doubt about it. So, look, if you want to make a bet based on that, like, who am I to tell you no? Uh, I wouldn't make a bet based on something like that. But, listen, like, betting can be a lot of fun. It can just be something to do for a couple hours of entertainment. So, I would say, like, for people, bet how you want to bet. Like, do do I think that it matters at all? Like, definitely not. But, again, like, bet however you want to bet. (laughs) Again, that's why I lose way more than I win because I look at a team's uniform and say, oh, can't lose. And he's all whites, and then guess what? They end up do losing. As a reminder, well, well, you might have an unhealthy quarterback. So, I, which which well, just like they can wear whatever colored <laughs> jerseys they want. If the quarterback's not healthy, they're not going to win. Uh, well, uh, at least in my uh, sick mind, I think oh, maybe Joe Burrow's got to be a little healthier in the in the white helmets. You know, you never know. His body can no. I think I, heal. I I I think you do know. <laughs> I think you do know. It's the hope. It's the optimism that always does kill me, Nick. Again, as a reminder, make sure you get the Bet MGM app today. Now you're winning with the King of Sportsbooks. Please gamble responsibly. Nick Casos, tremendous, ho- uh, tremendous host of You Better You Bet on the BetQL Network. Thank you for your really your patience and, and dealing with here, Nick. I really do appreciate it, along with your insight. Ryan, you got it, man. Wishing you and all your listeners minimal sweats when he bets the absolute very best of luck. Yeah, I am definitely a uniform, like, sucker, without a doubt. Marco is laughing at me. I knew the question was going to be stupid, but I want to ask it anyway. I, you see, let me ask you this, Marco. Bengals in the all-whites tonight. Unhealthy Joe Burrow, who are you picking tonight? Uh... <laughs> I would probably take the Rams for the unhealthy Joe Burrow part. Hmm. But but uh, but you're skeptical because you see the all white unis and you go, oh, oh yeah. you can't lose. I those. mean, yeah, no, those are those are beautiful. I'm also I, I'll be I'll say this. I'll, I'm actually rooting for the Bengals tonight. Just side note, simply because you mentioned the halftime, our colleague with Boomer Sison getting put into the Ring of Honor with with Chad Johnson. Yeah, I, I'm hoping the Bengals win simply for that. I want a happy Boomer. Okay. That, I like Boomer. Boomer's always been good to me, so I want a happy Boomer. Okay, if you're listening, Boomer size and Marco's rooting for your happiness tonight. I am rooting for your happiness, and also large part because you're wearing good uniforms, and I would like those good uniforms to be rewarded. But that said, I would actually take the Rams. Even though I don't believe in the Rams, I, I'm very I'm nervous about the Bengals. The fact that they kind of, in my mind, rushed Joe Burrow for week one, and now this, this reeks of desperation of 0-2. We can't start 0-3. We can't afford to let Joe Burrow rest that calf. I don't think he's ready. I don't think he's healthy, and I think they have been—they haven't clicked yet. I find it difficult to believe they click with an unhealthy Joe Burrow. Now, I think the Bengals will win. But to your point of playing him before he's ready to go, right? There's questions up until really an hour ago if he's going to play or not. I think playing him is the right move. He might not make it through the game. He not—he may reaggravate and could be over. But I think that is less of a risk. Then you starting Jake Brown and going to 0-3 and the season being done before it even starts. No, I get it. It's dangerous, but like I said, I think that was the reason why you shouldn't have played him in week one. I don't think he was right against the Browns. That's I really don't. And I do think that the reason that he was out there for two weeks is the reason why we're having this conversation because he re-aggravated an injury that wasn't healthy. And I think if if that's the case, then I find it difficult to believe he figured it out in the last four or five days. So you're, you're looking at a guy that's really compromised. You're the reason he's compromised, and now you're asking a whole hell of a lot of him. Could he possibly do it? Of course he can. He's that good. That's a difficult situation to put your quarterback in as good as he is, and I put that on the team and the organization. That's just you put yourself in a bad spot. You thought you rushed it for week one because you wanted him there for the Browns when you should have been looking at big picture, and that was a mistake. No, looking back, hindsight, you're, I think you're 100% right about that. Right about that. And, and even week number one, look, the rain I thought was more of a factor than his, you know, anything with an injury. And week two, you kind of saw that that calf did bother him, and they've not looked good now whatsoever. 
through two weeks. Um, I will take the Bengals tonight, not just because of the uniforms. I think the <laughs> level of desperation is, is the highest it will be all season long. I do think a desperate team is going to get it done here, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope. That's honestly a little bit of a hope more than like a Well, and that's part of it. Too. Look, if there's any team that could actually come back from 0-3, it would be the Bengals because they are good enough to be able to – if they. Some teams at 0-3 would get buried, and you would look at it and you would maybe start the infighting and all that. They've had enough recent success. They're talented enough that they could come back from this and still make a playoff run. If memory serves, they were 0-2 last year. Last year. And still what? They rattled off 10 straight at one point. They have the ability and the fact that they've had the pedigree. That would bode well. But 0-3 is a difficult spot. It's not easy. When you look historically, 0-3 – you're look. You're you're really up against it now. You're you're behind the eight ball at zero three because you put you leave yourself with no margin for error, and that might be the situation the Bengals find themselves by the end of the night. And I think that's part of the reason why they already agree he's not one hundred percent. But that's I think going to be the biggest reason why right now you'll see Joe Burrow and they all white for the Bengals here in about forty five minutes or so. All right. So we got one Monday night game underway. Mark will update you on that score here in a second. Another one getting set to kick off here in about forty five minutes or so as well to conclude week number three. We'll keep you updated all throughout the evening on these two games to put a capper on the week, but also, too, we do return here on the Zach Gallup Show with Ryan Icky filling in. It's a news brief, including Josh McDaniels reteaching everybody how to count and do math. We'll let you hear it for yourself when we do return again. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gallup right here on CBS Sports Radio, but here's the latest CBS Sports Radio update is Marco Bloody. Time for your daily news brief. We get you caught up on the rumors, reports, and reconnaissance from the day in sports. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb. It is a news brief time right here on CBS Sports Radio. We start with the final game from Sunday. Steelers, Raiders. Raiders driving. Down by eight. Just over two minutes to go. Fourth down and four again at the Steelers' eight-yard line. Most coaches, most fans would say, do what in that situation? Go for it. Josh McDaniels said, no thanks. I'm going to kick a field goal. Doesn't see the ball really again. I mean, there's like 12 seconds left. So realistically, with no timeouts, how far are you going? Game's over. After the game, Josh McDaniels defended his decision to kick a field goal down eight at the Steelers' eight-yard line. Take a listen. When the score was what it was, we needed multiple possessions to go, you know, we needed to do the right thing with, with multiple possessions. So, um, you know, whether we we were mixing in the tempo, we were mixing in, you know, huddling, um, trying to still stay with some of the runs, you know, in the second half there in the fourth quarter where they were playing split safety defense and trying to really take away Devontae and Jacoby and some of the receiver play. You know, and that's when, you know, Josh hit a couple of the runs there in the fourth quarter. So, um, you know, just trying to do the right thing, trying to be productive as best we can. And like I said, mixing in the tempo as we went. Trying to do the right thing. Down by eight, needing multiple possessions. Manny, doing a great job producing. I, I, I'm not good at math. Maybe you can help me out here. I suck at math, even worse. Is it possible... When you have the ball in offense, to score eight points in one drive. Yes, you would have to score a touchdown. Then okay. they give you the option to kick it for one, or you can try to run and pass for two. Six plus two equals eight. Okay, so you don't need multiple possessions to tie an eight-point game. You can do it in one drive is what you're saying. Yes. 
by getting a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Correct. Something that the Raiders did in a drive previous in the fourth quarter to get it from 16 to 8. But here's Josh McDaniels, you just heard, saying we needed multiple possessions and tried to do the right thing. Look, it's obvious. Josh McDaniels is the worst head coach in the NFL. He is outing himself to everyone in the latest example. The guy, I'm sorry, is an idiot. He rode the coattails of Bill Belichick for 15 years. And you see now when he's away from Bill Belichick, whether it's with the Broncos and how that quickly flamed out in a year and a half. And now with the Raiders in a year plus three games, where last year he lost to Jeff Saturday, who might go down, might, as the worst head coach in NFL history. His only win was over Josh McDaniels. He lost to Baker Mayfield when Baker Mayfield was signed by the Rams two days before the Thursday night game and played basically all but one drive. And you should have blown five double-digit halftime leads. It was only four because the only game you won when you were winning at halftime, you needed the Patriots to literally throw the ball to you to win the game. And now, in his latest example... Is trying to tell you that in an eight-point game, the offense needed multiple possessions to score in order to tie or take the lead, and that's why I kicked a field goal down by eight with 2.22 left. Got it. Got it. Mark Davis, you got what you paid for, man, and I hope you're enjoying it. Speaking of getting what you paid for, the Jets made a mistake by drafting Zach Wilson Second overall, and now with Aaron Rodgers down, needs Zach Wilson to save the day. And guess what Zach did not do? Save the day. Another just awful performance from him in the Jets offense in which they had uh, or scored just 10 points. Could not move the ball most of the day. Robert Sala, what is going to be now a weekly tradition, probably a daily tradition until a move is made, was asked by beat reporters after the game, why are you still starting Zach Wilson? Right now, Zach is the best player on the, in the um He's who gives oh, us the best on. chance to win. And, um, you know, so oh, that's no. basically the, that would be the cleanest answer I could give you. That pause, that three-second pause between Zach is the, um, you know his brain was running. Those gears in his brain were churning over time. What can I say that's not laughable, but is also not throwing my quarterback under the bus and saying he sucks? He... Right now, Zach is the best player on the, in the. Um, oh, what is he's uh, who gives he's, us the best chance to win? Oh, uh, right now, okay. He's the one who gives us the best chance to win right now. I don't envy Robert Sala. You got to trade for Kirk Cousins, but I know this is an audio medium, right? So you can't see his face. If you look at the video, Robert Sala looked like someone who just witnessed his dog get run over by a car. He is so dejected and so upset having to answer that question and knowing deep down, I don't have an answer. I feel, I do feel bad for him. How about Ryan Day letting loose on NBC after basically what was a walk-off victory at Notre Dame, taking aim not at Notre Dame fans, not at the Notre Dame coaching staff, but Lou Holtz, take a listen. Toughness, toughness, that's it. Physicality, cross the board, finish it off, having guts. You know, like I like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. <laughs> what he said about our team, what he said about our team, 
I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio. And it's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids. And we got a tough team. What did they prove to you tonight in this victory that you'll take away toughness. and run with? Toughness. Everybody's questioning these kids all the time. We had one bad half the last couple years. That's it. Everybody wants to question these guys. These guys are warriors right here to come back and win. This kid right here to come back in the second half and win. I'm emotional about this for a reason. A lot of people question these kids and say a lot of things about them. I love them. When someone attacks your family to come in and win like this is special. It's a great win for our program and a great win for Ohio State. I would push back on the one bad half in two years. Let's maybe relax about that. It's been a little bit more than just one bad half, Ryan. But overall, your message, I get it and I love it. This is what drives me crazy. People, for some reason, were taking aim at Ryan Day, calling out Lou Holtz, calling Ryan Day soft and sensitive. I love that. I want more of that. Look, I think, honestly, I think it's a good thing when you have your head coach, when he has his ear to the ground. On Friday, Lou Holtz on Pat McAfee show called Ryan Day and Ohio State soft. He said anytime they play a tough physical team, they lose. Insinuating they are soft. And you know what? Ryan Day's been hearing that message from a lot of people. Now Lou Holtz, legendary Notre Dame coach, national championship winning head coach. That got to him. And I, you know, I appreciate that. I respect that. I like someone who's petty, who wins the game in a way that people thought you couldn't. And then you let everyone know, I just did the one thing you said I couldn't do. Where are you now? I love that. I want more of that from Ryan Day. Dan Lanning had a similar message to his team before they faced Colorado. I want more emotional coaches. I want more coaches challenging people. I give Ryan Day a lot of respect. I love that audio. I love that fired up and passionate speech he just had. All right, it's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb. When we do return here on the Zach Gelb Show, Joe Burrow is playing in tonight's Monday night game with a bum calf. Is it the right move? I think so. I'll explain why next. It's Ryan Hickey. With right here, CBS Sports Radio. You're in a five-minute break. Four minutes, 30 seconds remaining. 